I'll turn to the New Testament and read from the Gospel according to John, chapter 6, beginning at verse 22 through 40. John 6, 22 through 40. Let's hear the word of God as he speaks to us. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one wherein two his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, albeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after the, that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do? that we might work the works of God. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then they said to him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him, may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Thus far, God's holy word to us. We will also read the first part of the uh, Lord's Supper form. you find it in the back of your Psalter if you wish to read along. Page 136. I'll just read the first part about the preparation, how to prepare ourselves for celebration, Lord's Supper, next Sunday, God willing. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, attend to the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, as they're delivered by the Holy Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, 
This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That we may now celebrate the supper of the Lord to our comfort. It's above all things necessary, first rightly to examine ourselves, and then secondly to direct it for that end for which Christ has ordained and instituted the same, namely to his remembrance. The true examination of ourselves consists of these three parts. First, that everyone consider by himself the sins and the curse due to him for them, to the end that he may abhor and humble himself before God, considering that the wrath of God against sin is so great that rather than it should go unpunished, he hath punished the same in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, with the bitter and shameful death of the cross. Secondly, that everyone examine his own heart, whether he doth believe this faithful promise of God that all his sins are forgiven him only for the sake of the passion and death of Jesus Christ. And that the perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed and freely given him as his own, yea, so perfectly, as if he had satisfied in his own person for all his sins and fulfilled all righteousness. Thirdly, that everyone examine his own conscience, whether he purposes henceforth to show true thankfulness to God in his whole life and walk uprightly before him, as also whether he has laid aside unfeignedly all enmity, hatred, and envy, and doth firmly resolve henceforward to walk in true love and peace with his neighbor. All those, then, who are thus disposed, God will certainly receive in mercy and count them worthy partakers of the table of his Son, Jesus Christ. On the contrary, those who do not feel this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment to themselves. Therefore, we also, according to the command of Christ and the Apostle Paul, admonish all those who are defiled with the following sins to keep themselves from the table of the Lord and declare to them that they have no part in the kingdom of Christ, such as all idolaters, all those who invoke deceased saints, angels, or other creatures, all those who worship images, all enchanters, diviners, charmers, and those who confide in such enchantments, all despisers of God and of his word and of the holy sacraments, all blasphemers, all those who are given to raise discord, sects, and mutiny in church or in state, all perjured persons, all those who are disobedient to their parents and superiors, all murderers, contentious persons, and those who live in hatred and envy against their neighbors, all adulterers, whoremongers, drunkards, thieves, usurers, robbers, gamesters, covetous, and all who lead offensive lives. All these, while they continue in such sins, shall abstain from this meat, which Christ has ordained only for the faithful lest the judgment and condemnation be made heavier. But this is not designed, dearly beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord, to deject the contrite hearts of the faithful, as if none might come to the supper of the Lord but those who are without sin. For we do not come to this supper to testify thereby that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves, but on the contrary, Considering that we seek our life out or outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that we lie in the midst of death. Therefore, notwithstanding, we feel many infirmities and miseries in ourselves, as namely that we have not perfect faith. 
that we do not give ourselves to serve God with that zeal as we are bound, but have daily to strive with the weakness of our faith and the evil lusts of our flesh. Yet, since we are by the grace of the Holy Spirit sorry for these weaknesses and earnestly desirous to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God, therefore, we rest assured that no sin or infirmity which still remains against our will in us can hinder us from being received of God in mercy and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly meat and drink. Engelsma, also diagnosed with COVID now. Many needs. But a Dear congregation, Next week, God willing, we hope to celebrate, not just have, but celebrate the Lord's Supper. Will you too? And as we then examine ourselves this week, preparing ourselves, don't just ask the question, do I have a right to come? That too. But also ask yourself, is it my duty to come? Not only may I come, but must I come? After all, when Jesus says, this do in remembrance of me, it was not a suggestion. Of course, children, you cannot yet come and partake of the Lord's Supper. But I hope that the Lord already worked a desire in your heart for that. That someday you may do confession of faith and trusting the Lord Jesus, coming as a repenting sinner to Him and to His table. And for all of us who have made confession of faith, if your membership is in good standing and not under church discipline, what will you do with this command? This do in remembrance of me. And of course we know that that remembering we do includes remembering our sins. So do that, yes, and confess them before God. But then remember that the Lord Jesus didn't just tell us to remember and confess our sins, but also to remember Him. So this command clearly implies, indeed, that we cannot and may not come to the table if we have not first come to Jesus. But we want to look at God's Word this morning. From John 6, the passage we have read, but particularly verse 37. John 6, 37. All that the Father, or really the word there is, everyone whom the Father giveth me shall come to me. And then the verse goes on, and him or anyone. So it begins with everyone, and then it goes to anyone. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So our theme is, Jesus welcomes repenting sinners. Yes, saints. By the grace of God. But sinners, still in action, words, and thoughts. The first thing, we must come. Second, we shall come. A third, we may come. First, we must come. To Jesus, that is. As repenting sinners, that is. That is, if, if we indeed want to be saved from our sins. And the results of it, which are so evident in, among us and in, around the world. All the consequences of sins. We want to be saved from sin and its consequences. 
from hell. Eternal condemnation. If we want that, we must come to Jesus. There's just no other way. No option. Jesus came to live and to die for sinners. To be the way, the truth, and the life. Not just a way. The way. The only way. The commanded way. And the provided way. Jesus wants us to know this and to remember it. This do in remembrance of me. We're so forgetful. Jesus is in John 15. Without me, you can do nothing. Now, some people say so. But don't forget. Read John 15. It's in context of abiding in me. What he's really saying is, without abiding in me, you can do nothing. And how can you abide in Jesus if you not first come to him? Children, how could you stay in this church building if you not first enter? So without coming and abiding, John 14 and 15, We can do nothing. Therefore, you and I must come. The question is, did you? Do you? Or did you just come to church? Or do you come as a repenting sinner to God? Through Jesus. You see, you can have all kinds of conviction of sin. It's never going to be enough. Believe me, in hell, there are many people that are convicted of their sin, but they gnaw their tongues in pain and refuse to repent. So there'll never be enough for your conviction. If you don't go to Jesus with it, you have no life. You may have even conquered many sin, like the rich and ruler, but he had nothing. He can be a model citizen, but without Christ, you're not pleasing to God. But if you do come, and did come, as repenting sinners, putting your trust, casting your all upon the Lord Jesus, you have everything. You can say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's nothing or everything. And there's no in between. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So that clearly implies that if you don't come, if you will not come, you will be cast out. Into hell. Because of casting out is, is, is being condemned. Rejected. But maybe you wonder, what is it to come to Jesus? Well, it's clearly not the same as coming to the Lord's Supper. We know that. It's not about being fed with that kind of bread. Just like the Lord Jesus was speaking with his people there when they came looking for him. We saw that. We just read it. They came seeking for Jesus. And they found him. But they came for loaves and fishes. They came to have their bellies filled. In the Lord's Supper, you won't be filled with your, with your mouth and eating. You get only one bite. That's one of the things that happened. You read in Corinth how they abused the Lord's Supper. They filled their bellies. Not a soul. They didn't come to feed on Jesus. 
So Jesus warned him. He says, labor not for the meat that perishes, but for that meat that endures to everlasting life. But maybe you wonder, what is it to, to feed on Jesus? To eat and to drink him as the bread of life. Well, verse 35 puts it very beautifully for us. If you have your Bible open, it helps a lot, and you can see it and hear it at the same time. Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He, Moses didn't give you that bread in the past, but I'm the bread of life that the Father right now gives. I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. So the coming to Jesus compared to eating, being hungry or not, if you go, you'll be fed. If you don't, you'll stay hungry. He that believes on me shall never thirst. So the believing there is, is compared to, to drinking. It's eating and drinking. It's coming and believing. And Jesus makes it very plain what, what that is. To believe on him, it's to receive him. Not to feed my body, but my soul. With himself, with his righteousness and his holiness that I lack so badly. To impute it, we have read from the form. To take my sin and to replace it with his righteousness. As if we had accomplished it ourselves, we have read it. So to come to the Lord Jesus Christ is life. Not to come is death. It's not only a future thing, it's a present reality. If you have come, you're alive. If you have not come, you're still dead. No other option. We don't have a third state. Life, death. Can they both? Jesus says, who believes on him is not condemned, John 3.18. But he who believes not is condemned already. Because not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In John 6.47, verily, verily, an oath, I say to you, he who believes on me has everlasting life. Present reality. Not only a future reality. That's why those that are true believers, when they die, they don't die. Jesus said that to Martha. And he asked, do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, when you breathe your last, you actually breathe your first in glory. You don't leave the land of the living. But you actually leave the land of the dying. So with it, without that, our life is only sin and death and will perish a threefold death. Not only what we are already spiritually dead, but also physically and eternally. Do you so come to Jesus, realizing you need him? Lord, I need him. Give me Jesus, else I die or continue to die. I need this Jesus. Who not only gave himself unto death, gave himself, but he still gives himself by praying without ceasing at the right end of the Father. Because it's his will and his Father's will that we should come. That none should perish. for repenting sinners who come and continue to come to Jesus, convicted of sin, confessing, and then finding comfort in the fact that God says, I will. Your sins are gone. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Such ones are welcome. Not only to Jesus, but also at his table. Him 
that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So Jesus welcomes repenting sinners. So we must come, but also, second, we shall come. And there's more here about that shall come than the elect. All sinners must come and shall come to Jesus one day or another. If in our life we come to Him, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. But if we do not come to Him, we shall still stand before Him. Then we will not meet Him as our Savior, but as our judge. So we shall come to Him. Every one of us. But how and when? If it's our death or on the last judgment day to be damned, or today, while it's yet time to be saved. To come today to Him, and next Lord's Day to His table, to do that in remembrance of Him. And that command comes to all who hear law and gospel, and we heard it already. Even if I would stop preaching, he would go home, you have enough. Command and provision. The command of the law, the provision of the gospel. Paul said to the Gentiles in Athens, Gentiles, Acts 17, God commands all men everywhere to repent where's the option it's not like take it or leave it it's come or perish if you really believe it you could not stay from Jesus away from Jesus Of course, we know that by nature no one will come. No one can come to Jesus. But thankfully, by grace, made willing in the day of his power, we can and we will and we shall. By grace. Who? Well, the elect, indeed. Yes. Every one of them. All, every single one, all of them that the Father gives to me shall come to me. That is to be saved. They must come and they shall come. Why? Because they are given by the Father to the Son. In eternity. Before Adam and Eve were created. Children, isn't that amazing? Think about that. God knew that you today would hear the call to come to Jesus to confess your sins before Adam and Eve walked upon this earth. Every one of us. He knew who would hear it today. He knew who would believe and come. He knew who would reject and not come. Awesome truth, isn't it? That's what God's Good pleasure, his good will, as the angels sang, that sinners should not perish, but come. It's an amazing thing how we sang it from Psalm 40. I delight to do thy will, O my God, thy law is within my heart. Prophetically speaking about Jesus, but also practically Speaking of every believer. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Do you see really what the main evidence is of being elect in this text? 
the main evidence of being elect in eternity is to come to Jesus in time. All, everyone that the Father gives me shall come to me. And he repeats it in verse 39. This is the Father's will who has sent me that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing. But should raise it up again at the last day. Jesus' death and resurrection guarantees a sinner, sinner's resurrection. First resurrection when he becomes alive spiritually. And the next resurrection when the body will be united with the soul forever on the last day. So God not only commands to come, but he assures our welcome. What an encouragement, isn't it? Not only that there is a must come, but also shall come. That's an awesome reality. That we are welcome when we do come. But also an awesome reality that if we do not come, we shall stand before him. We're summoned then. Shall come. Either to faith in him even today and then to come to the Lord's Supper to partake of the Lord's Supper, and then to dwell with God and the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven forever. But those who do not come. To be damned. Forever. It's a bottomless pit, the congregation. Do you believe that? Next Sunday, there may be one more empty seat. What if it is you? Are you ready? Not just come to the Lord's Supper, but to stand in His presence and give an account of what you heard today. And who knows how many times Oh, if you haven't come yet, why would you stay away? Why would you not come? Give me one solid reason. His loving command, harden not your heart if you haven't come yet. And thanks be to God if you have come. But then confess how lukewarm and how casual and Look warm we are sometimes about having been delivered from such condemnation. How much we take it for granted. How often, as we sang maybe a few minutes ago, I delight to do thy will, it's in my heart. Maybe as you sang it, you felt condemned. So cold and so distant, perhaps. So come to him. But not only he says that in verse 39 that not one of the elect shall be lost, but then he adds in verse 40, this is the will of him that sent me that everyone who sees the Son and believes on him may have every last, everlasting life. Do you see how it's expanded from just stating it's the elect only and it is going to be the elect only. But how it moves into the second half of our verse where it even says everyone who sees the Son and believes on Him may have everlasting life. Seeing the Son, seeing the Lord Jesus, of course, with the eye of faith, we cannot see Him now. One day we will if we're a true believer. And even if we're not a believer, we'll see Him too, but then to condemnation. But But Isaiah already said in Isaiah 45, he says, Look unto me and be ye saved. Look and be saved. Who? All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I know it's impossible with man. But possible, yes, more than possible with God. It is certain. 
It's the Father's will and delight that everyone who sees His Son, who hears His Son, who believes His Son, who comes to His Son, should have life by believing on Him. You see, the Lord Jesus right now is not only speaking to us from heaven by His Word, but is also praying for us in heaven and preparing many mansions. He not only prepares us for that place, but that place for us. He's still giving Himself without ceasing, we read. Children, when you and I, when we sleep, Jesus is still praying. And if you put your trust in him and you confess your sin, he's also praying for you. For everyone and for every one. In John 17, we read about this. He says this, verse 9, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Very clear, same truth. But then he goes on in verse 20, a couple of verses later of John 17, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Whose word? The preachers. Those who proclaim it. Or even parents, when you, children, when, you, when your parents read the Bible to you and talk to you about the Lord. Through their word. Jesus is speaking when you're father or your mother, when they read the Bible to you, God is speaking. Jesus is speaking. Through their word, made willing in the day of his power, Psalm 110. So we must come. We shall come. But the wonderful thing is, not because we have to, This is a must indeed, but not a must of have to, but a must of wanting to. If you're in your right mind, why would you not? Just like that man, isn't it, that was not in his right mind. He did all kinds of terrible things. But then when Jesus cast out the demons, he sat down at his feet in his right mind. Finally was thinking right. You know, it says indeed in this same chapter, verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. I will raise him up at the last day. It's true. No man can by nature come. But why is that? What is the root cause of our inability It is our unwillingness. We will not, therefore we cannot. We are rebels. We're not victims. Yes, we're unable. But the real reason and the resentful and the bitter reason that's also in hell, we will not repent. We'd rather chew our tongues than to say, I'm sorry, God. This is reality, dear congregation. John 5, verse 40, Jesus made it very plain. He says, you will not come to me that you might have life. He didn't say you cannot come. You will not. That's why we come to the Lord. Even if we cannot come in faith, we come for faith. Because that's even a gift. It's all a gift. But come, we must. We shall. Why would you not come? And how does, indeed, he says, except the Father which has sent me draw him. And how does the Father draw? Well, we know it. Right now he is. When he's speaking, 
When your ears and your mind hear it, and when your heart convicts you of the truth of it. But also comforts you. The amazing truth of it. They may come as, as sinners. How? By his word, by the foolishness of preaching. Jesus Christ and him crucified, Paul says. Men look down upon it with disdain by nature. But by grace, they stand in awe. An awesome God. An awful God, yes. But also an awesome God. To come as guilty and repenting sinners, fleeing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just once, but again and again. And not only to be forgiven, but also to become holy, to more like Christ. Also to forsake sin. To hate it. And even hate it that you love it at times. You understand that? Not just for our justification, but also for sanctification. And even for glorification. We will be glorified, sharing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, as if we had earned it ourselves, while it remains a gift, a free gift, to whosoever will come. Why would I not come? I live now by faith. One day by sight forever. But maybe you say, if I only knew that I am elect, because it will be sure for the elect, so if I would know I am elect, I, will, I can come. Well, that's not how the, the Lord teaches us that. In Deuteronomy 29, 29 makes it very clear. The secret things belong to the Lord. They reveal things to us and our children that we might do them. This is revealed to us. They would hear, as James says, and be a doer of the word as well at the same time. God's word is one. We don't come to the Lord Jesus Christ after we find out we're elect. By our coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, we discover that we are elect. That's what that text says. Very clearly. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. Primary evidence of being elect is coming to Jesus. A coming to Jesus is evidence, is proof that we were indeed elected. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. But then Jesus goes on to say, And him, anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And that brings us to our third point. that we, So Jesus welcomes repenting sinners. We must come, we shall come. And most wonderfully, we may come. We may come. We just read that. We just sang it. When I confess transgression, then thou forgavest me. When then? So much more in that Psalter to consider and to rejoice over. And maybe you, maybe you grasp that truth, the must and the shall, but what about the may? May I come? Or how do I know that I have come and did come and am coming in the right way? Especially when, when your sins stare you in the face. And how you failed since the Last Supper. It's good to do that in the week of self-examination. Jesus' command, we have to deal with that. This do in remembrance of me, so we're we going to do it or not. Go to obey or not obey. You cannot ignore this command. I think, well, that's only for believers. What excuse do you have to not be a believer? If God provided everything, everything, You see, it's not just meant for to go to the Lord's Supper for assured believers. How much assurance is enough? 
meant to give assurance, to strengthen faith, weak faith, crying faith. To give assurance. Jesus gave the sacraments to strengthen our weak faith by physical elements. Faith comes by hearing, yes. And hearing by the word of God, yes. But at the Lord's Supper, God includes all senses. He comes so low to us. To strengthen faith. You see, as it is sin to stay away from Jesus, so it's sin to stay away from the Lord's Supper. (laughs) If I put it simply, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Maybe literally so. Didn't think about it ahead of time. The rock is Jesus and the hard place is hell. Maybe that's what the expression is from originally. I don't know. But you see, to sit in our pew... I think, well, I'm not a believer, so the Lord's Supper is not for me. is a dreadful and a fatal mistake. Yes, it is sin to attend the Lord's Supper four times a year without true faith. Absolutely. You eat and drink damnation to yourself. But it's also a sin to stay away from the Lord Jesus 52 Sundays a year. Somehow the one thing is more overwhelming than the other. They're both overwhelming. So as you eat and drink damnation to yourself by taking Lord's Supper without true faith, so you eat and drink damnation of the bread of life by not believing and eating that bread of life and drinking the water of life. Rejecting his precious blood. When he says, do this in remembrance of me, not to condemn us, but to save us. And to reassure us of that. Do not use the sin of unbelief to compound it with the sin of not partaking the Lord's Supper. How can you excuse one sin with another sin? Does that make sense? Every Lord's Day, God declares his no delight, no pleasure in the death of the sinner. Commands, he provides. We must come, yes, but he also may come. He says... Him or anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I find this one of the most beautiful verses in the entire scripture. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are mentioned in one breath. God is completely sovereign and man is completely responsible. Not 50-50, but 100-100. 100%-100%. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Election performed in time. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So if we are persuaded, convicted, drawn to come to Jesus, it is God the Father at work. Resisting is the devil's work. You're listening to the devil. Coming is listening to the Holy Spirit. Must come, may come. In no wise it says cast out. In the Greek it's a double negative. In no way rejected. But welcomed. We should not forget to whom the Lord Jesus said this. He said this not just to gentle and kind disciples and believers, but to rebels who refused to believe him, who even had the audacity to ask for a sign. 
Well, Jesus just fed 5,000 plus people from five loaves of bread and two fishes. Show us a sign. The audacity. They argued about Jesus being who he says he is. Give us a sign, he says. Do you see the audacity of that? But then do you also see the audacity of waiting for something to happen before you come to Jesus? While he tells you to come, when he commands you to come? What sign shows thou then that you may see and believe? Let me say that sometimes, right? I won't, I don't believe you till I see it. And I see it, I will believe. You remember children who, who did that? Remember Thomas? He didn't want to believe it. He said, when I see it, I will. But you know what Jesus said to Thomas, right? In John 20, 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. you're convicted of your sin that's in a measure seeing your need and hearing then that there is one who can answer to that need perfectly is the very same Holy Spirit if you are prompted then by the Holy Spirit and you stay away from the Lord Jesus you're listening to the deceiver to Satan if you listen to that conviction and you go to Jesus you're listening to the Holy Spirit because his delight to show Jesus to sinners. Come to me, he says, as repenting sinners, no matter who you are. Come, and you're saved as well as safe. Do not make it look like as if God is unwilling to save you more than you are willing to be saved. All that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Now, maybe you think, my coming is not the right coming. Well, whose is? Who will determine when you're sorry enough? Sometimes hard children for parents, when you say, I'm sorry, mom or dad, I did that. Will you please forgive me? Sometimes they say, well, are you really sorry? Yes, I'm really sorry. Well, how come did you keep doing it then? Maybe you think like that, that God is like that. But God is not like that. 70 times 7. In Luke 14, it says even, or 17, seven times in a day. How can it be? Because God is not like us. He's altogether different. But this doesn't say anything about the, the, the way of coming, he just says, come. He doesn't say, come with the right feelings or come with enough repentance. No, don't bring anything. Accept your sins. Come to receive. Don't bring anything to pay without money, without price, Isaiah said. It's a gift. But bring to him all your sin. All your lukewarmness, all your backslidings, your misery, your emptiness, your inability, your unwillingness, become. For he will in no wise cast you out. It's not my word. I wouldn't dare preach it if it isn't if it wasn't in the Bible. Bring it to him. Clearest evidence of belonging to the elect is our coming and our daily coming to Him. And what do you do, children, when you come to the Lord Jesus? Well, if you can read your Bible, you can do it yourself. You open your Bible. 
and you read it and you know that the Lord Jesus is talking to you. And then you pray and you talk to him. And say that you're sorry for your sins. And put your trust in him. That's coming to Jesus. So to come to Jesus not only is the surest evidence that you are one of the elect, but also that you belong at his table. How could you remember something or someone whom you haven't met before? To remember Jesus is remembering having come to him, remembering what he has said to you, what he has done for you, what he still is doing for you. So if you come daily as a sinner and confess your sinfulness, put your trust in him. You're forgiven every time you come. When I confessed transgression, then thou forgavest me. So I could go to bed every night with a clean slate. Washed away. And then the rest of life purged away. And even when we then appear before him in the last day, we still haven't arrived. But the Lord's Supper is to encourage us and to strengthen us. Do you feel in your heart a conviction, a desire, an emptiness, a longing to come? Come at once. You don't even have to get up. You can remain seated and in your mind say, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sin, especially this, the sin of unbelief and doubts and fears and anxiety. Please forgive me. And God says, I do. I will. But I've done it so many times. God says, my blood is powerful enough. The blood of my son. So every time that conviction takes place, I'm a sinner. Every time the word is proclaimed, there is salvation. Is God's acceptable time? Today, while you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Jesus makes it very plain. And children and young people, you don't have, you have done public confession of faith, but it's my desire. And I hope the desire of your parents and of your elders and your pastors that you would not wait till you're old enough to the confession of faith, but that you now already turn to the Lord Jesus Christ every day. When you go to bed, when you come out of bed, even when you're out there and going to school or do things, or sit down or take a walk every time, thinking, Lord, how good thou art. Let thy goodness lead me to repentance. Confess your sins to God. In this week of examination, consider any sin you're still clinging to or clinging to you. Any unresolved issues you have with, with a fellow believers, with anyone. Resolve it. Confess it. So we may be seated around the table as brothers and sisters, truly in communion with God and with each other. That's a beautiful thing that the consistory does every time on the Lord's Supper, they do censura morum. Censura morum, literally meaning examining of conduct or morals. We go around the room and ask if there's anything that you have with anybody that needs to be resolved. And if you say no, that's it. If you say yes, well, maybe you should then go outside together with that elder and, 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 and talk it through. So we should come to the table to his table. First to Jesus, then to his table. We must come as repenting sinners, and we may come. All that the Father gives me, has given me, shall come unto me, and him who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this incredible forgiveness. It hasn't entered into man's mind to, to contrive this. All other religions, we must climb up. But with thee, 
There is forgiveness because thou hast come down to do it all for us, to work it in us, to not only give life and give faith and give repentance, but also the fruit of it, to be sealed and confirmed at the table. Bless us in this week, Lord. Bless thy own word, the power of thy spirit, thy fatherly care. In Jesus' name, amen.